The strange writing on this clay brick is known as cuneiform. Now, this script was used for hundreds of years in ancient history. Here, international presenter Gary Webster and travel with him to ancient Babylon and the island of Patmos to discover how ancient mysteries reveal the future. No more night, the world tomorrow. There are different opinions that people have of heaven and the next life. I was fascinated to hear of some of these opinions. I noticed this one here. Someone said, uh, heaven? Heaven, they said. This is my opinion of heaven. Heaven is a state of mind, they said. Well, that's very nice if your mind is nice and at restful, isn't it? But what about if the doctor tells you that you've got terminal cancer? What about your heaven now? Your state of mind? I think heaven's more than just a state of mind because many people have tremendous turmoil in their life and they're good people in their minds because of some stuff that's happening in their world, their life. Heaven is a state of mind? I hope it's more than that. Someone said, a heaven? I've already got heaven. You should see my Lexus. You should see my house and you should see the angels. They're my children. Now, this guy was off the planet, wasn't he? Our kids are good, but they're not that good that they're all angels, are they? But the idea of heaven, many people think they have it on planet Earth already. Well, that's very nice for you if you have a nice home overlooking the Sydney Harbour. But what about the poor guy in India who lives on the train station? And that's his kitchen and that's his toilet and that's his bathroom. What about him? Is that heaven? What about the person who lives under tremendous uh, unhygienic conditions in some big city somewhere? Is that heaven? No, this is someone's heaven, but it's not the heaven of the Bible, that's for sure. Someone said, heaven? You're kidding me? You believe in that fairy tale stuff? Well, that's what some people think, that this is just pie in the sky, by and by sort of thing. And then there was this one. An elderly couple were asked about heaven. They said, we hope what we were taught when we went to Sunday school is true because right now we're longing for something better. Well, my friend, I hope it's more than a hope thing. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's not just something wishful thinking and maybe the Bible gives us some definite things about this subject this afternoon. Is there really a heaven, first of all? Let's tackle that one from this book. Or is this just our wishful thinking? We hope this will be the case. In the book of Revelation, in the book of Hebrews, you've probably read this great chapter of all the faithful people down through the centuries. People like Moses and Noah and so on, full of people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But I want you to notice what the Bible says concerning where these people are now. John says, sorry, Paul says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. Now, the Bible says they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things, says Paul, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. That is a heavenly country. You see, all those people of the Old Testament time that Paul was talking about, they were seeking a country 
and it was a real place, a heavenly country, says Paul. So these people certainly believe this idea. But I want you to notice one of those people was Moses. Moses is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as being one of those people who made a choice in life. Now, if we had gone to the Cairo Museum today, I could take you to the Cairo Museum and we would look at some of the famous pharaohs of antiquity. We could look into the face of Ramesses II, Ramesses the Great. We could look at the Queen Hatshepsut of Tutmoses III, great pharaohs of ancient Egypt, Egypt. We could have been looking into the face of Moses in the Cairo Museum, let me tell you, because this man was destined to be the pharaoh of Egypt. The Bible says in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, by faith Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach, it says, of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. You see, Moses made a choice. He chose to follow God rather than all of the stuff that he could have had in this life and then been a mummy in the Cairo Museum today. Moses made a choice for Christ and to suffer with God's people than to enjoy the passing pleasures for just a short time. My friends, sometime it is sad in this life that people make a choice and they choose this life ahead of the next life. When we go through what's coming next, who would ever make a choice like that? Moses certainly put his priorities in the right place. He could have been a mummy in the Cairo Museum, but he's not because Moses today is in heaven. How do we know that? Because Jesus stood on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah the prophet and Moses, it says, because the book of Jude tells us that Christ disputed with the devil over the body of Moses and that's why he was there on the Mount of Transfiguration because Christ had already raised him to life, the pre-incarnate Christ. He's alive today, but not a dead mummy in the Cairo Museum. Thank God this man made the right choice in life. Today he's alive and he's going to be alive for eternity. Nevertheless, says Peter, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. These people of faith look forward to a new heavens and a new earth. And that he may send Jesus, Peter went on to say, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before from heaven, whom heaven, I should say, must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Did you catch that word that Peter said? The restoration of all things. This world needs a restoration. And that's what Peter was saying 
back 2,000 years ago. I want you to remember as we began early on in our series, into that beautiful garden home that God had made for Adam and Eve, where there was no death, there was no disharmony, there was no disease, there was no depression, there was no divorce, there was no of those horrible things that we experience today into that garden home where these people were destined to live for eternity came that snake, you recall, right? He came into that perfect world and our parents sold out on God right there in the Garden of Eden. And as a result, we know what happened. The world became so corrupt that God had to restart the thing again under Noah. A flood came and took away all those people that lived in Noah's day, thousands of them, though who were people who were bent on corruption and sin, the Bible says, and God had to restart. But after the flood, we were at it again as a world, and pretty soon wickedness filled the whole world again shortly after the flood. And as a result of this, we experience this stuff today, do we not? Let's think about some of the things we experience today. You think about the terrible terrorist bombings in our world. People go out to work this morning and they never come home again. It happens in our country, right? People go to work and we hear of a tragic accident on the motorway. They're never coming home again, this side of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Terrible tragedies in our world, one after another. We never know when it's going to come to us. We never know when it's going to hit our family. The world has suffered all this stuff thanks to the tragic choice of our parents. Here's a little kid. He's only seven years of age. He's starting off. He's hardly got a toehold in life, and his life is snuffed out from leukemia. We need a restart. We need a restoration, my friends. Coming to these programs that I was running in the city of Albany some years ago came a couple, Ken and Sue. They came for one question in their mind. Their little boy of three years of age had just died of leukemia. Where is God in all of this? What is happening? They were trying to make sense of it, and I thank God they came because they found hope for the future at that series of programs. I think it's tragic to see young people's lives wrecked before they're even out of their 20s. I, like many of you, travel on the train, and it's a tragedy. I've, I've, I've caught the train here at Hornsby sometimes. And here's a kid, he's 25 years of age, a young man, but he's talking to himself out loud because he's lost his brains on drugs. A life that had such potential is now in ruins, shattered. We need a restoration in our world today. You think of that couple. They had great plans for the future until the doctor said, you've got terminal cancer, and their world came crashing down right around them. You think of that young couple, bright, sparkly eyes. They thought they were going to spend the rest of their lives together, but it all came apart and their marriage fell apart. My friend, when we think of our world today, we need a restoration. And that's what Peter said. We desperately need a new world. We look at the news, uh, nightly news, and again and again, we see those horrific images of little kids in Africa or someplace In the Sudan, abject hunger. That's why Paul said, Peter said, we need a restoration. The Eden that was begun, we need to have it back again. And God is committed to restoring things. Marco Polo, that great explorer, traveled around to the 
around the you know parts of Asia and so on. And when he came back, he had unbelievable stories to tell of other parts of this world. He said, listen here, I saw lizards that are so big they could eat a man. They'd never seen a crocodile in Europe. He said, I went to, uh, to some countries where the nuts grow on trees and if they fall on your head, they'll kill you. He'd never seen a coconut in Europe. You see, he said, I saw amazing things out there. The half has never been told, he said. Now, it's a bit like that with the world that God's picturing that's coming up. God cannot explain it all. It's beyond our comprehension, but he does give us a little few snippets. In actual fact, Paul writes these words, I has not seen, nor has he heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. My friend, if you think this world is great, wait till you see what's coming as John unravels it and Isaiah unravels it in the amazing pages of the Bible. You know, on this planet, we have many great things today, don't we? For some people, it's almost heaven just to get married, right? That's a wonderful time. For some other, it's the first baby. Friends around the campfire eating marshmallow for lots of young people, that's great stuff. Listening to a symphony for other people. We have many beautiful experiences in life today, but the best is yet to come. The world tomorrow leaves all of this, it pales into insignificance. We have many marvelous moments, but God says the best is yet to come. Notice what the Bible says about the world tomorrow. He talks about eternal peace. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 11, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Can you think of a world where there is no destruction? Think of a world like that, a life in the new empire where the Bible says the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the lion with the goat and so on. It is a picture of incredible peace, even among nature that we find in the Bible, especially in the prophet Isaiah's writings. Violence, the Bible says, shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting or destruction within your borders. But you shall call, the Bible says, your walls salvation and your gates praise. You know, down under here, we are one of the privileged places on planet Earth. We've hardly seen too much in terms of wars and stuff. But there are some places on our planet where we know they have all only experienced war. Imagine for people, no more war. When I moved to New Zealand, my wife and I moved to New Zealand, uh, we met a couple who came from what was then called Rhodesia. And they said, you know, when we got to New Zealand, the first thing we noticed was there was no rat-a-tat-tat of machine guns and no bombs going off. No more war. We don't understand that down under here, but there are some countries like that. You think of a world where there's not only no more war, but there is no crime. We have two or three deadlocks on our doors today in many places in this country, don't we, to keep out those criminals who not only take our stuff, but they will do violence to get that stuff. Think of a world where there's no muggings, where there's none of this sort of stuff that takes place and we read about it day in, day out. Think about a world where there's not going to be any abuse. Probably here today there are some who have been terribly abused by a parent, a brother, an uncle, 
a grandfather, whatever it is, sexual abuse, violence. Maybe some women have experienced that, and it's horrible stuff. You think of a world where there'll be no more abuse. This is what John, what Isaiah says, no violence shall be in their land. Not only that, but the Bible says we will live in a world of eternal health. Think of this picture of Isaiah. The inhabitant will not say, I am sick. Now, we were hearing this morning uh, where I was in, uh, in Thornley before our program this morning on hell and what's all that about. Uh, the, the idea of a mother, you know, the kids come, mommy, I'm sick in the stomach or something, you know. Well, that's okay for a little kid because he gets over it. But what about those people who never get over it? They have terminal cancer. They have terminal this or that. There is coming a time, my friend, when the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. Now, that's good news for some of you here today because you know you've got a problem health-wise which you will not get over this side of the coming of Jesus Christ. It's going to be with you till the end, till you go into the box and the Lord Jesus comes. Think of a world where there's no sickness. That's going to be an amazing experience for our people on this world. The Bible also says the eyes of the blind shall be open. Imagine a world where... People will never be blind. Can you think of people who have never seen a rose? They've never seen a sunset. All they've known in their life is darkness. There is coming a day for those people when the first face they will ever see will be the face of Jesus Christ when he comes as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What an amazing day is coming for our world when the eyes of the blind people shall be opened says John, says Isaiah here in his book. Not only that, not only no blindness, but the Bible indicates also the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Can you imagine what it must be like to live in a world of silence? You've never heard those magical words from someone near you, I love you. You've never heard those words. You live in silence. Imagine what's going to happen when those people, for the first time, they hear a human voice, and it will be the very voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Waking them up, maybe, from the dead, or coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords in the picture we showed, in in the portraits we showed in previous programs. Imagine a world where the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. What a world that's going to be like. When God makes all things new, no deafness in God's better world. The lame shall leap like a deer, says Isaiah. Can you believe it? Somebody has never walked in their life. They were born without the ability to walk or they had a tragic accident and now they're a quadriplegic. No movement in their body, but there's coming a day when the lame will leap like a deer. I was sharing this program here in New Zealand, down in Palmerston North, two or three years ago. And down the back of the room, there's a lady in a wheelchair. And when I got to this point, the lame will leap as a deer. She said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to Luke, get out of this thing. You know what I mean? Thank God that there's coming a day. And my friends, this is the world that God is preparing. There will be no more uh quadriplegics, no disabilities in that better land that God is preparing for those who love him. What about this one? The tongue of the dumb will sing. You know, sometimes you sit, sing next 
to somebody who can't keep a tune. It's a painful event, isn't it? <laughs> I'm glad that this is going to happen. The tongue of the dumb shall sing. I'm, I'm glad it's going to happen to the people who, who, are, who don't have that disability, but they'll be able to sing better. Maybe they'll say, oh, I'm glad Webster's going to sing a bit better than he does. You know, keep a tune. But the picture here is a beautiful one, isn't it? Those people who have never been able to express themselves, their tongue is going to be loosed and they'll be able to speak. I guess the first word they will say is, Jesus, you died for me and that's why I'm here. Wow, what a day it's going to be when Jesus comes and does these things for each one of us. You know, not only no speech impediments in that land, but the Bible says these words, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what Jesus is going to do when he comes the second time. It says here, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. What an amazing picture. We are going to have new bodies like the very body of Christ when he was raised from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I've noticed that the longer I go, the more the body parts wear out. Have you noticed that, Bob? Yeah. First of all, I'm losing my hair. Used to pride myself that I used to be able to comb my hair. My wife says, when you go to the barber shop now, we have to get a search party out to look for those hairs on your head. You know what I mean? I remember when I was in Canberra just a few years ago, I was traveling around at night visiting people, looking at the road direction. I thought, what's wrong with these people? They don't make these road books any better anymore. And then I noticed I was holding the book further and further away. You know, our eyes grow dim as we get older. Some of our teeth are falling out, right? In fact, I remember reading of uh, one couple and they uh, said goodnight to each other and the man lamented. He said, I don't know if my wife's really in bed because on the side bed there, sideboard there, there's her teeth, there's her hearing aids, there's her false leg. See, everything's gone. Nothing left. <laughs> well, thank God there's coming a day when our body parts will be put back together. We smile, but it's true, isn't it, my friend? We have bionic parts all over our bodies these days, but thank God we're going to live on for eternity. God is going to make a new world, and we're going to have bodies like the very body of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing, but seriously, there are some people here to, to, to this afternoon, seriously, you're suffering from some sickness, some problem that's not just like eyes or hearing you, there's something going. I want you to know that the day is coming when you will have a completely new eternal body that will last forever. New like the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, we're going to have eternal life. We're not going to get sick and peter out or die. We are going to go on and on and on. Try getting your head around eternity. Think about that. The Bible says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. What an amazing world that's going to be when nobody dies. No more sorrow, nor crying. There, the Bible says, there shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Oh God, bring it on. Isn't that the truth? Bring it on. We need that. We need a restoration in our world today. No wonder John, as he finished the book of Revelation, he said, come Lord Jesus. Who wouldn't want him to come when he's going to do all that for us when he returns to this planet? 
because that's exactly what's going to take place. There's going to be eternal beauty in God's new creation. You think about it, what John says, Isaiah says here, sorry, the desert, he says, shall rejoice and blossom like the rose. I tell you, we need that in Australia in some places, don't we? And certainly in Arizona, Bob, where you come from out that place somewhere, you know, we need it. But imagine the deserts out there in the central Australia are going to be like a rose garden. Can you believe it? But that's what the Bible says. God is going to make everything so beautiful in this new world. Think about this one, eternal creativity. Now, in Bible times, they didn't understand what many of the things we can do today, but they had the things that they did creatively. About the best thing they could think of back in those times was to build their house and plant their vineyards and, and, and do that sort of stuff. And so the Bible uses the language that comes from their times and their culture. And it says this, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And then it goes on to say that someone won't take their stuff away from them because there's not going to be any crime and violence and so on. But God here is indicating to us we're going to be creative people in that next life creative things that we're going to do in the life to come. Now, I've thought about that. You imagine that you will have the opportunity one day to write a symphony. How would that be? How good is that? That's pretty creative. Some people, that's what they love to do. Imagine writing a symphony that millions of people can sing to. Or imagine if you're like like me, you love studying uh, science at the chemical level and under the microscope. Imagine the amazing things we're going to understand. Some of you might like to go out into space there and, and you, you're, you're fascinated. Imagine the things. Many of you are creative with your hands. This, what we do on this planet has nothing compared to what God has for those who love him in the future. And this is just a little sample. We're going to do creative things. And I love this one here, this next one that John's, that the Bible says. We are going to have eternal joy in that next land. Think of it. You see, in this life, we go like this. We go up today, we got our job, but tomorrow we go down because my grandma passed away. Tomorrow, the next day, we go up because I got a good paycheck. Then I go down because I heard that I got terminal cancer and then we go up because we realize that we had our first grandchild and life goes like that does it not we go between joys and sorrows all of our life but there is coming a day when all we will know is eternal joy the bible tells us notice what the bible says the ransomed of the lord shall return and come to zion with singing and then it says these words with everlasting joy on their heads Think of it, a world where we'll be always joyful. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Can you believe it? There will never be a time of interruption of joy. What a world that will be. Amazing picture that we have of God's new world. And then we have the idea of eternal Sabbath. Not that the Sabbath will last for eternity. But we're going to have an eternity of Sabbath. Now you think about this. Look what it says here. And it shall come to pass that from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. That's, I guess, one good reason why we should think about starting to keep the Sabbath now, because it's going to be kept in eternity, says God in the book of Isaiah. We're going to keep the Sabbath. You imagine what that's going to be like. Well, you come here to Hornsby Theatre and all you get is Webster. 
Imagine when we get to heaven on the Sabbath sermon, we'll come from Jesus himself. That will be spectacular, won't it? You won't have to listen to old dry bones, Webster. (laughs) It's going to be amazing when you think about it. Imagine being able to have God the Father talk to us. And the Sabbath is going to be enjoyable. I uh, was at Thornley today. Bob, you were at Mount Cole, and we had a great lunch after the message that we shared this morning. You imagine what it's going to be like the potluck lunches in heaven. You imagine the table's going to be miles long. Moses, pass me the pawpaw, and down it comes to you. You'd imagine, you'd let the imagination think. Imagine what's going to happen. Imagine being able to go next door in God's great house and have a chat to Abraham or go and talk to Queen Esther who was imagine what's going to happen and what a great Sabbath you won't want Sabbath to end because of all the tremendous relationships that are going to happen in God's great heavenly home and then we're going to first of all live in the heavenly world in fact notice what the Bible says we saw it uh, uh, previous to this last weekend I think it was let not your heart be troubled Jesus said don't be worried don't be anxious You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, says Jesus. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. The years may roll on, the centuries may roll on, but I am coming for my children. I will come again. Why? And receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Now, what's going on here? God is going to take us to his father's house. And we saw last week, when we looked at the Armageddon program, we always say the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven. That's where Jesus said, I'm taking you to my father's house. We are going to go to heaven where the father lives, first of all, when Jesus comes to take us home. And we saw that last week. We're going to spend a thousand years in heaven. Remember the text that we looked? The rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, the one that starts the thousand years we saw, blessed and holy is he or she who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and reign with him for a thousand years. So we're going to spend a thousand years in heaven. And we talked about that last week. What are we going to be doing? Participating in some sort of an understanding of God's justice we saw last week. And of course, much more than that. But then after the thousand years, we're going to come to this world because this world is going to be your home and my home for eternity after the thousand years. The Bible says, Jesus is talking, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This world will be our home, but the best is yet to come. When you start to look at this in the Bible, John says, then I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I would have to say my brother and I could not stand going with my sisters to Kings Park in Perth because they, our older sisters would take us to see the brides and to see them all dressed up. And my brother and I were bored, but roll on 15 years and we were both very interested in brides after that. 
But John says God is preparing a great city for, and she's like a bride dressed up for her husband. God is going to lavish tremendous things for his children. Notice the picture that the Bible gives us just quickly of some of the things in God's great city. The 12 gates, John says, are 12 pearls. Can you believe it? Each gate is a pearl. That's a very big pearl, isn't it? One pearl, one gate, and there are 12 gates. Not only that, are the gates of pearl, John says, but he says the streets, the foundations, I should say. Look what they're made of. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he gives us a picture of what those foundations were. Look at the picture. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. Now, we could share with you, because John shares you the name of those stones, and they are some of the most amazing gemstones that we have in the world today. And the foundations of the city are made with miles of these things because it goes like 500 kilometers this way and 500 kilometers this way and back this way, and each of them is slabs of this precious gemstones. Somebody's got somebody special to spend that sort of material on them and the street the bible says of the city was pure gold like transparent glass why would we want a bit of this tinsel down here when one day we're going to walk on streets of gold who would sell eternity for this life just for this life and most of it is not a happy life for many people why would we sell so short God says he's preparing this. Now, why does God do this? Because of the people who will inhabit that city, not just a city, but because of his people who will live in that city. That's why he lavishes this. This is their home where they will live with their God. And John says these words. I love them. I heard a loud voice from heaven as he comes to the end of the revelation saying, behold, the tabernacle. That means the dwelling place of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Can you believe it, my friend? God is one day going to live on this planet. This is going to be the center of the universe where God rules the universe from on this planet. This world, which has brought so much heartache to God, this world that crucified his son is the place where God will live forever. An amazing, graceful God, the one who made us, who died for us, and who's preparing it for us. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God. There it is. The center of the universe where God rules from the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face. What an amazing time that will be when we look into the face of God who loved each of us so much that God in human flesh died for us and his name shall be on their foreheads. This is what God is preparing for his children who put their trust in him. An amazing future indeed. No wonder the Bible says these words. We are all in a race for life, my friend, eternal life. And John pictures for us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that great people of faith, people like you and I who struggled with 
temptations and trials and difficulties. People like David who made big mistakes. But finally they ran their race and finished it faithfully. Now it's our turn to run the race of life. And I want you to notice one of the things God tells us to do. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But notice what he tells us to do. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. My friend, you cannot run this race without that God gets you started. And you will not finish this race without that God helps you to finish it. He is needed at the beginning and the end. The author and the finisher of our faith. Now, why did Jesus, why are we told to look to Jesus? Look what it says. Who for the joy that was set before him, he could see heaven with your name on one of those doors in the Father's house. He could see your mansion, but not your your mansion, you in it. He could see the joy of having you spend eternity with him. And that's why he went to the cross. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. My friend, when we get to heaven, we are going to realize the tremendous love of God for every one of us in ways we've never even thought of. And it's all because this Jesus took your place and my place at the cross. What a day that it's going to be. And my friend, that's why... This is not like that elderly couple who said, we hope it's true. This hope is sure hope. This hope is certain hope because of the God who's paid the price and who's come out of the tomb and who ever lives and who's coming again. That's why the hope is sure hope. And that's what God wants every one of us to have today. This hope that God is soon to come to take us home and we're to forever to be with him. Thank God that God has given us this book. Yes, we see some pretty heavy things in Revelation, but when we come to the last pages, we see where it's all heading. Now, how can we be there? How can you and I be in that place that God is preparing for those who love him? I love the way the Bible ends. It ends with a plea to people. In Revelation 22:17, the last page, it says the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the Bride, that's God's people. They say, come. And the Bible is full of the word come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who is a thirst, meaning we want what God is preparing for us. We want God's forgiveness. We want his peace. We want his life. Let him who's a thirst for those things of God, let them come. And you know, we can come just like we are. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely, the Bible says. There's a picture in the Bible of a man on a cross with Jesus. He's called the thief, as you know. This man came to the end of his life and he realized that he was not ready to die. He knew that if his life should end, it was all over for him. He would never have eternity. He would never experience what we've talked about. But as time wore on, that good, bad Friday, which looked bad but was actually good, On that Friday, as he thought about what he'd seen that day, he realized the man on the middle cross, had he was the way to eternity. And 
One of his friends, the man on the other cross, was making fun of Jesus just like he had been doing himself, would you believe? If you're the son of God, get off the cross, they both said, and save yourself and save us into the bargain. And they'd both been making fun of Jesus all afternoon with everybody else. And now this man realized the game was up. And the Bible says he turned to his friend who was making fun of Jesus. He said, don't you realize we're in the same situation as this guy? We deserve what we're getting, but this man, he's done nothing wrong. And then the Bible says he turned to Jesus and he said, Lord, he realized who he was. He realized this was the king of the universe. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When you come to this day, he said, would you have a place there for me? Now, you can imagine, you could have heard a pin drop at the cross right then and there. How would Jesus answer this man who had been making fun of him all afternoon? How would he respond? Well, I know how you would have responded and how I would have responded. Forget it, buddy. You've had your chance. No way. But not Jesus. Jesus turned to that man and quick as a flash, he said these marvelous words. He said, listen here, my friend, I want you to know today. On this horrible day, when it looks like my cause is finished, I want you to know that you will be with me in that great land that we've just talked about. You and me. What an amazing grace offered to this man. A man who hadn't cared for Jesus, but now he wanted to come just as he was and Jesus accepted him just as he was. He put his life into his hand and Jesus assured him, I want you to know you will be with me in paradise. My friend, that's the offer that God makes to you and I today. If we just come just as we are, as the Bible says, the moment a sinner comes to Christ, that moment they're pardoned and we should no more doubt God's forgiving grace. It's as real as the air that we breathe. You've been listening to Ancient Mysteries with Pastor Gary Webster on Faith FM. Join us again same time next week to discover more ways in which the history of our world confirms the Bible and its messages of the past and future. Right around Australia, you're listening to Faith FM. Faith FM.